We turn this morning to Matthew chapter 6. We pick up our study this morning in verse 5. Matthew 6, 5 through 8. And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corner of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy Father, which is in secret, and thy Father, which seeth in secret, shall reward thee openly. But when ye pray, use not vain repetitions, as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. Be not ye therefore like unto them. For your Father knoweth what things ye have need of before ye ask him. Heavenly Father, there are sections of the Word of God that are so crystal clear upon reading that no man could mistake what is being said. And then there are portions that are not clear at all. And our text this morning is neither of those. Our text this morning certainly is understandable upon first reading as to what is said. And yet there is a background to be understood concerning it. Lest one take the words and apply them as they often have been applied in ways misdirected. And so help us today to gain insight to the words of our Savior by the control and leading of the Spirit of God who gave the Word of God so that upon our understanding there would be indeed within us a great response. Thank you for each one that is here to hear and bless us now together we pray in Jesus' name and for his blessed sake, amen. Right-minded, personal, and public worship of God always includes sincere prayer. Matthew 6, 5 to 8. Some years ago, Sherry and I were ministering for a week in a New England camp, and we ended uh, that week of ministry uh, with an early morning visit with our grandson along uh, a park route in Niagara Falls. Uh, the roar of the falls soon after sunrise is a bit of a sensory overload, but nonetheless, it's one of those experiences that you will never forget. Joining us in that park that day uh, was a busload of Jewish students from the New York Orthodox School Right in the middle of our visit came one of the appointed hours for Jewish prayer. 
with military precision, all of those students stopped in their tracks and began to recite their specified prayers, eyes closed and heads bobbing. I'd often heard of such, had never witnessed that personally until that day, but as prayers are recited, the young men in particular would bob back and forth as they prayed. It was over as abruptly as it began, and the chitter-chatter of excited youth immediately returned just under the roar of the falls. Excited chitter-chatter went to prayer abruptly, and just as abruptly returned to chitter-chatter. King Jesus made it clear on this day of record that God, the great giver, is not at all interested in prayer like that. God is not interested in a response to him in which you plug in and then quickly plug out. You do your thing, then his thing, then your thing. He's not interested in that. And yet I think about how it is that many people attend a church service with the idea that they do what they want until they do what God wants, and then as soon as it's over, it's back to me time. Well, God is just not at all interested in that. The little word and, verse 5, connects the thought and topic of prayer to the former emphasis on giving under the banner of personal devotion and piety that indeed is pleasing to the Almighty. I remind you that King Jesus used six moral illustrations back in chapter 5 to help the crowd grasp the demand of God for perfect righteousness. King Jesus here in chapter 6 is going to cite five illustrations to help his listeners grasp the demand of God for personal piety and devotion. By speaking of things like giving and prayer, our Lord reveals the kind of personal and public worship, personal devotion that pleases God. And it is very insightful, and it can be very unnerving. Now, the antithesis of right-minded piety and devotion is represented throughout this section, throughout the sixth chapter, uh, by the hypocrite and the worldling. The grammatical structure uh, that flows throughout the chapter uh, kind of runs in this way. Don't be like them. Be like this. Don't be like that. Be like this. Don't be like that. Be like that. This. You're going to have that structure again and again throughout the chapter as we continue to study it here in Matthew chapter 6. King Jesus' address of the topic of prayer includes, of course, the model prayer that we will begin next Lord's Day morning 
and we'll be considering that prayer in length upcoming. And I will work, and I will encourage you to work as we deal with the model prayer upcoming to make sure that we keep the model prayer within the structure of this overriding emphasis in Matthew chapter 6 concerning personal devotion, personal piety, that indeed is pleasing to God. But today we begin with the right and godly uh, elements of prayer as introduced by the Lord Jesus on this day of record. And we quickly learn, uh, just like in the subject of giving before it, and shall see again in the topic of fasting following it, that prayer is easily unrighteous and misdirected. On one level, we would have to say that prayer is just very, very easy to do. On another level, we'd have to say that prayer is very, very easy, not right, and misdirected when being done. And then we would also have to go on to say that very, very much of what is called prayer is really not praying to God at all. Uh, the summarization of the Lord's prohibitions and principles concerning prayer, running five to eight, run in this regard. Right and godly prayer is directed towards God. Right and godly prayer is deliberately conversational. And thirdly, right and godly prayer is doctrinally sound, or if you will, according to the truth. Let's begin by the emphasis of right and godly prayer is directed toward God. The single most important thing when praying is to remember to whom you speak. King Jesus said, verse 6, pray to thy father. Most of the Jewish people in Jesus' day prayed while standing in the synagogue or street whenever one of those daily prayer appointed times would come. It was customary to immediately stop and to recite your prayers. The problem is once again reflected in the phrase, verse 5, that they did so that they may be seen of men. Manward prayer does not mean that you pray to men. Manward prayer means that you pray to God with your mind focused upon the people around you that are listening to you pray. Manward prayer means that your mind is caught up with the view of the people around you rather than the God of heaven above you. And those two words I would play with for just a moment. What is around you? And who is above you? What is, and who is around you? And what is above you? When you come together in any kind of a public scene or setting, uh, there are things around you and people around you. And when the mind is caught up with the things around us and the people around us, well, then our minds are obviously not as focused upon the God who is in heaven above us. If we're really going to worship God, then the mind has got to be directed towards God above, not the people around. 
And that is certainly emphasized here in regards to prayer. And the idea of righteous prayer means that you have clearly in your mind when you pray, God who is in heaven above you, not the people who are around you. This uh, idea of, uh, of uh, devotional distraction uh, of a saint, or if you will, maybe even an indication of a soul yet on, uh, unredeemed, uh, is, uh, is evidenced in the aspect of the negative side of what Jesus had to say in verses 5 and 6. Again, and when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to stand or pray standing in the synagogue and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Jesus said concerning them, Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. What did they want? Well, they wanted people to hear them. People did hear them. They have their reward. But, don't be like that, but be like this. But when you pray, said Jesus, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut the door, pray to thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. The word streets in verse 5 is not the same as the word streets in verse 2, as previously studied under the admonitions concerning giving. Herein the word refers to a wide thorough way or a major intersection. It helps paint the portrait of the hypocrite who sought a place where most of the people would see him pray. Now, this is a phenomenal thing to think about, what was going on in the minds of people as they approached the hour of prayer. Back in the day when I wore a watch, I would, I would look at my watch to see what time it is until lunch and how long I had uh, in this session. I'd be constantly looking at the aspect of my watch. As I preach, you are thankful when I keep my eye on the clock that's above the, parsonage, or the, the balcony up there uh, so that uh, I do not unduly take advantage of you in a moment of preaching. And so uh, we are clock conscious uh, by nature of life, and we have schedules. But can you imagine the kind of thought processes that goes into a person's life when they are thinking about the flow of their day and when they're going to take a break and when they're going to have lunch and when, of course, under the context of the day in which the Lord left, uh, uh, when they're going to ha- uh, uh, be uh, uh, engaged in, in their prayer times and reciting their daily prayers, starting with the Shema every morning and the Shema again at night, but then other prayers throughout the day. Can you imagine the kind of thought processes that goes involved with a person who thinks, you know, if I plan this thing right, I can be right at the street corner uh, in the marketplace where all the people are gathered when it's time for me to shut down and talk to God. And everybody will see me shutting down and talking to God. Or as I learned at Niagara Falls, shut down and talking to God. Takes a lot of thought, a lot of human self-direction to be that fussy in one's religious embrace. Is that unusual among people? That they would be that caught up in the aspect of what others think, of what others do, of what others wear, about what others are engaged in, 
Uh, is that unusual? You know, indeed, it's not. Jesus said, when you pray, verse 5, when you pray, verse 6. Interestingly, neither commending nor condemning appointed times for prayer. Jesus said, whenever you pray, take each opportunity for prayer, strictly seeking audience with God and God alone. Right-minded and godly prayer seeks a place conducive for audience with God, not conducive for self-promotion and the influence of men. The closet instruction of verse 6 has bothered an awful lot of pastors over many, many years. The closet instruction has been a source of strange abuse over many years. It does not forbid nor less exclude the imperative of public prayer among the people of God. It does commend the truth that prayer is primarily communion with God. As a young pastor, without much experience in leading a flock, I confronted years and years ago our then local church treasurer, who refused to attend our midweek prayer meeting on the basis that it was forbidden by the Lord in Matthew 6, 6. We had a church leader in my first congregation. We had a church leader elected by the congregation who, out of uh, misunderstanding of the scripture, refused to attend the local church's regular schedule for a prayer meeting. Even while wet behind the ears, as they say, it was not difficult for my 22-year-old self in that particular hour to demonstrate from the scripture, number one, the imperative, the command that we gather for public prayer, and the pattern of public prayer as evident in the early church. Sadly, rather than hear the scriptures concerning the church gathering for prayer, that church treasurer of years ago refused and from that point forward no longer served. King Jesus herein commends personal prayer that seeks a place conducive to a mind and a heart rightly fixed on God our Father. Now, there is no Bible teacher worth his salt, no Bible pastor uh, worth his office, worthy of his office, uh, who would not quickly say, you can talk to God anywhere at any time. We all have those incidences of panic prayers where that something is happening and in the moment we're just looking to God for something. I was 
driving an I-96 when a big deer jumped in front of the car just directly in front of me. That car hit that deer. I've never seen a deer explode like I saw that deer explode. And I knew that that guy uh, that was driving, uh, he sent the deer to the right. He started to veer uh, left. And I thought in a nanosecond, oh, Lord, help me go right down the middle. And I did. Right smack through a bloodbath. My car, my windshield was covered with the yuck of venison blood. No deer, no car damage, just one need of a wash. Uh, is all the experience that I had in that instance. But in that instance, I'm talking to God, and I'm talking to God so quick, uh, and I would never advocate, I would never say that, oh, what a wonderful spiritual experience. I hope you get to go down the road at, uh, at the speed limit. Yes, I was driving at the speed limit. But going down the road at the speed limit and avoid hitting the deer because you cry out to God, Lord, help me, as I drive down the middle of the lane. But Jesus taught that there is something valuable about separating yourself from the noise of this world. Finding a place that you can get quiet before God and pray. Over the years of my life, there have been many places that I have found to be a quiet closet for prayer. And of course, as you already know, the Lord's pattern, the Lord's own pattern on earth, as he often withdrew himself, not only from the crowd, but even from his own disciples, in order to secure a place conducive to communion, with God the Father. Our motivation and experience in prayer must be Godward. And when we think about piety, personal piety, when we think about devotion to God, personal devotion to God, well, we, we ought to want it to be uh, we ought to want it to be a right, sincere, and in truth. And thereby, we're going to think some about the aspect of places in our lives where we can go to get alone with God in prayer. Right and godly prayer focuses, first and foremost, upon that relationship with God. Secondly, right and godly prayer is deliberately conversational, deliberately conversational. Look at verse 7. But when ye pray, use not vain repetitions, as the heathen do. For they think, what many Baptists think, that they shall be heard for their much speaking. Be not ye therefore like unto them, for your Father knoweth what things ye have need of before Ye ask him. Prayer, righteous prayer, godly prayer, right-minded and right-hearted prayer is deliberately conversational. As experienced that day in Niagara Falls, Judaism had become, even in Jesus' day, 
blatantly ritualistic. Prayer was often rote and perfunctory. The religious Jewish man in New Testament times, as I said previously, prayed the Shema every morning and prayed the Shema every night. In addition to the Shema, there were 18 scripted occasional prayers added morning, noon, and night. The relentless repetition of words in prayer were considered wise and securing of God's favor. I cannot help but think of the old children's prayer that was popularized in America back in the 1940s and the 1950s. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. And if I die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. I was taught that prayer as a boy. And many, many children across this nation prayed that prayer over and over and over and over again. King Jesus forbid such meaningless repetition in prayer, comprised only of constructed words said over and over and over and over. Saying a thing 20 times has not greater impact with God than saying a thing meaningfully once. The many words or much speaking, as Jesus says it in the text, is uh, not so much about the length of your prayer, but the silly and pagan notion that saying something over and over and over will somehow better get God's attention. Nonetheless, the religious among the modern Jewish people continue to count tassels on their prayer shawl, as many modern so-called Christians count beads. Jesus said, don't be like them. Don't be like them. Don't think that saying a thing time after time after time or, if you will, getting a whole lot of people to say the same thing with you is somehow a way that is going to carry some sense of extra favor or curry with God. It's bad thinking. It's bad practice. Uh, the, the, the basis of sharing the burdens of your, of your life for others to pray is a righteous and imperative thing in the New Testament. And it should not be looked at as somehow you're just gaining ranks of people to bombard the throne of God to get him to do what you want to do rather than the thing that he would do. We get so easily misdirected when we talk to God in prayer. Right and godly prayer, if not repetitious, if not scripted, then must be conversational in which we remember who we're talking to. Now, we all have incidences on the horizontal plane 
in which we got talking to somebody and it wasn't who we thought it was. And sometimes that can be downright embarrassing when you think you're talking to somebody and you're not talking to them. And uh, you find out it's somebody else. And uh, you start rehearsing quickly in your mind all the things you just said because you maybe revealed a little too much of yourself to somebody that should not hear such details. But nonetheless, we've all had incidences of that kind of a thing. But when we're talking to God and we're talking to God, we ought to be talking to God. Who is ever living and ever loving and has made it clear that he delights to hear from us. When the phone rings and I see that it's Ohio, when the phone rings and I see it's family in Florida, I don't look at the phone and say, oh, no, they're calling me again. And when I answer the phone, I say, oh, Jason, you called me last week. You're calling me again this week? I don't say, oh, Justin, this is the third time this month you've called me. No, when my... Loved ones, call me. I am glad. I am happy to answer the phone. Thus it is when you talk to God. He is happy to hear from you. Always happy to hear from you. It is no mistake that we are led of Scripture to think of God as our Father next week's sermon. Right and godly prayer is deliberately conversational. And thirdly this morning, right and godly prayer is doctrinally sound. It's doctrinally sound. Again, verse 8, be not ye therefore like unto them, for your father knoweth what things ye have need of before ye Ask him. Prayer is certainly not informing God of anything. Jesus said he already knows. And yet the fact that he knows is never to be taken as a deterrent to praying. How many believers have I heard over my years that have said, well, if God knows all about me now, why am I praying? Well, why in the world would you call your son or your daughter or your mother or your dad or your sister or your brother? Why would you seek relationally to connect with anybody if, in fact, they already know the circumstances of which you're going to speak? Listen, it isn't about the factual data. You are not a computer. You are a human being. Made by God for relationship. And that plays out on the horizontal and on the vertical plane. Therefore, right and godly prayer is not only conversational and it's not only directed to God, but right and godly prayer is also doctrinally sound, meaning it is prayer according to the truth. No person can pray right and live wrong. God knows everything before we ask and yet demands that we ask for the relational interaction, for the communion of that occasion. 
we call the table set before us in modern vernacular, the communion table. I trust it will be a communion table for you. If it's just about a little juice, if it's just a little bit, a, a, a piece of a, a broken a representation of bread, then it certainly will not be communion table for you. But indeed, if you obey the admonition of the table and do this in remembrance of Christ, well, then it can certainly become a communion table or a table, a place of communion between your soul and God as you remember the gospel of Jesus Christ and the foundation of your relationship with God Almighty by God the Son. God has commanded us to pray even though he knows all about it. And I mean, he knows all about it. Most of the time, in fact, all the time, God knows more about the thing you're about to ask than you do. That's why when you ask God, beginning to pray about a thing, you ask God for something, beginning to pray about a thing, so often by the time you end up praying... It might be uh, 10 minutes later. It might be two or three days later. It might be eight or nine or 10 or 15 prayers later. But at some point, you pray better with a better understanding of the will of God in that thing uh, as you adjust. Because God, of course, never needs adjust. He is God and is in need of no adjustment. But why? Why? Does God want us to pray? Well, the answer underscores the relational desire of God for his children. He wants contact with us. He wants communication with us. He wants communion with us. Why does God make us to pray? Family contact, family communication, family communion. He desires time with his children in the same way that he has stamped family desire in my life and yours. Neglect prayer, and spiritual life dries up like skin exposed to the winter's wind. Pray contrary to the truth of God and gospel, and prayer becomes a drudgery and a constant disappointment. But when prayer is driven by healthy family fear of God, when prayer is driven by the love of God, who loved us first, and by a hunger to do his will on earth, then we can experience the sweet hour of prayer of which we sing the verse that we have stuck over as a banner. Our own midweek gatherings here comes from Psalm 145, 18 and 19. The Lord is nigh to all who call upon him, to all who call upon him in truth. He will fulfill the desire of them that fear him. He will also hear their cry and save them. Those are just phenomenal assertions encouraging us to talk often 
with our God. The words of Jesus in Matthew 6 concerning prayer here reminds us that God hates hypocrisy and he hates worldly practices of man-made religion. Oswald Chambers warns the children of God of approaching God as one of his customers rather than one of his children. God expects our giving and our praying to be done righteously and relationally. Giving is relational. Praying is relational. Living for Christ is relational. Don't pray like the hypocrites or the heathen do. By prayer, the child of God places him or herself at the Father's disposal, knowing that God is always on his child's side. If there is a problem, it would be that we are not always on God's side. Prayer is, of course, deeper than our words, and sometimes the best prayers that I prayed as I'm sure some of yours, have been almost wordless. Sometimes just groans and sighs before the throne. As it has been said, prayer is a heart and mind attitude which recognizes and bows before God. Acts of devotion, actions of piety like giving, and praying, and worshiping God are ever and always to be done, one, with a mind fixed on God above, not on the people around you, and two, righteously and relationally in communion with God. Yesterday I read an interesting article that uh, came out of the Michigan Press about a family named Watts, W-A-T-T-S, living in Franklin, Michigan. Uh, the dad had a, a mental disorder, and he was obsessive in hoarding and collecting, and so much so that it eventually ruined his marriage and it ruined his relationship with his two sons. The dad is dead, and the family now is cleaning out the home. And they've discovered in the collection of the dad, they've discovered these phenomenally rare comic books and baseball cards. The one Batman comic book is currently on the auction site to be sold at $1.4 million. And the paper interview was with the oldest son named Daryl. Or maybe it's Darren. One of the two. And the oldest son said this, we're glad for the money. Believe me, we're really glad for the money. But I would rather have had 
my dad. Sad when somebody loses out on the kind of relationship on the horizontal plane as God would design for family. Far, far sadder is losing out on the relationship that God has provided for in Jesus Christ with our Heavenly Father. Do not miss out this week. Don't pray like a hypocrite. And don't pray like a heathen. Or a pagan. Pray like the child of God that you profess to be. To your heavenly father. Knowing that he knows. But that you know that he knows. And you understand you're not talking to him to inform him. But just so that you can be with him. And interact with him. And through the cycle of his word. The written word to your mind and heart. And your words before the throne of God actually engage in a back and forth with the Almighty. Wow! What a neat thing you and I get to do. Father, help us this morning to appropriate the clear teaching of the Lord Jesus to the benefit of our souls. And help us during this season of the year to be reminded that all of these great privileges are afforded us because of the love gift of Jesus Christ at Calvary. We have been singing, and we will sing again this morning, in conclusion, this little song that points our hearts and minds towards Jesus, wounded for us and risen for us. Oh, God, help us to appropriate the words of our Savior this morning to the benefit of our souls. And for that, we will praise you in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.